In a world where you can do what you want, when you want it, it's hard to build that foundation for our families. But I believe that in order to last, we must strengthen our families with these things. Number one, we must share the heart of God. What are we doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that points our family to God? into God's word? Do we look at his character? Do we know who he is? As we share the heart of God, we learn to speak life into our own families, our extended families, and we can encourage them instead of always fighting or bickering. We choose to love and laugh rather than fight and complain. We understand that God has given us each unique gifts within our immediate family and extended family. And with those, we strengthen our family. We see people according to their potential, not according to their past. Good morning. Hopefully you're not already sick of me after the three-minute announcement video. Um, We are glad that you are here this morning. We're excited to be kicking off a um, new series here. Family is important to us at New Point Church, and we just have a vision um, to cultivate that within our church and to help up to raise the next generation to know and love Jesus. So as we talk about families um, this month, we hope that you are committed to um, just looking at your family, maybe looking at the good things and the bad things, and just being willing to kind of work on those. So um, our series is called Family Matters, like Pastor Jordan said, and we all want happy, healthy relationships, right? Um, especially with those closer, closest to us, but that's often easier said than done. Um, if you live with your family, um, there's always the ups and downs. But over the next few weeks, um, we're going to see that real relationships take work, and we're going to look closely at how God designed our families um, and to work on those both inside our home but also in our church family. So like anything that we do in life, The best things take work, right? So we have to be willing to do that, and I hope that we are. I know that we won't see um, perfection, this side of heaven in our families, but I believe that we can look at family as God intended it to be and just make the sacrifices that are needed to work on our families. And I truly believe that throughout this series that we're going to have testimonies coming from people within our church and within our community of how God has worked on your family, transformed it, brought it closer to him, Um, maybe healed some relationships that have been broken. And so um, be thinking of that. That's kind of a hint also if you have a testimony for Fifth Sunday. I'm looking for those. So I hope we have some of our families. So I know talking about emotions can bring up a lot of, or talking about families can bring up a lot of emotions, right? Depending on your family history. So um, take a deep breath today and just know that we're all working on it. None of us here are perfect. And um, we just want to look at the way that God has designed family. And none of us go into family life, get married, have kids, and think like, man, I hope this breaks in a couple years. Um, We're in it to see God work together and help to make our families last. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, and I want to open in prayer really quick before we get started. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. We just thank you for the um, time of worship that we had, that we can enter into your presence, that we can come before and remember communion and the sacrifice that you made for us. And we're willing to make the sacrifices over the next couple weeks to just work on our families, to look at them, and to just see how you designed our families to function. We thank you for this time together. I thank you that ears will be open um, and hearts to hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So a little of my family history, I grew up in a family, um, two-parent home. My mom and dad were both present. I have three sisters. We're all really close in age, so I'm talking within like a span of five-ish years. We have four girls, and um, we all got along fairly well. Both of my parents come from seven sibling families, so we had a lot of extended family. When we got together for a Christmas or an event, um, we were just surrounded by a lot of people, cousins, aunts, all of those kind of things. Um, And while I realized that I had um, a pretty good family growing up, it wasn't until I was a little older that it really clicked that this isn't how everybody's family was. And I have seen in my adult years how blessed I was with my family. Our family was not perfect by any means. We had our ups and downs and things that we struggled with, but my parents made it a priority to put Jesus first, um, to take us to church. We were founded um, in God's word. My parents gave an excellent example of showing love and compassion. Um, We weren't wealthy by any means, but we had what we needed, and then my parents made sure the people around us had what they needed. So whether it was time or money or those kind of things, they really set a fantastic example of um, just how to be Jesus to people and how to point us to Jesus. So my mom's here today, so hopefully (laughs) that's kudos to her. Um, Today, my immediate family is my husband, Jason, and I, and then we have three kids, 14, 12, and 11. Um, And we're busy, focused with our day-to-day. We also have um, extended family that, of course, we always wish that we could have more time with, but the schedules and the things that we encounter doesn't always allow for that. So um, as we begin our series today, I want to look at how families have evolved over time and kind of changed. So First, I want to look at ancient families, and ancient families were multi-generational families. Um, There was always time of um, extended family, and they were sturdy. They were willing or able to withstand adverse um, conditions. They were literally like a web of relationships um, where they were focused on helping each other. So not just your immediate family, but your extended family were there to listen to stories um, of old. You know, you hear grandpa tell the story for the 20th time and grandma interrupts them and say, wait, that's not how it happened. Um, But they sat on front porches, right? They were at the kitchen table listening to each other's stories, listening to things that had happened, experiences. There was a lot of lessons learned from those kind of um, moments. And it was a safety net. There was always a level of protection within the extended multi-generational family And even though it wasn't always good times, right, there was um, a family that you knew that you could trust, and it was uncompromising. It served as a force. These families were pillars in society. Um, They worked together. They lived in close vicinity to each other. They shared stories and just really integrated that into their family life. They cared more about the we than the me, um, and they just really wanted to see their family succeed and continue and leave a legacy Um, From the ancient family, we move on to the concept of the nuclear family. Now, as I was researching that this week, the nuclear family really came about in the early 20th century, but peaked in the 50s and 60s, okay? So this family um, had a mom and a dad, generally two kids, all living in one household. This type of family, from a worldly perspective, focuses on itself, basically, If we can create the life we want, if nothing goes wrong, then we've succeeded as a family. 
families um, begin, these families began to leave family businesses, family farms, generations of working together as families in pursuit of a life in the city and basically leaving behind the generations before them. Um, so they were no longer sitting around the kitchen table listening to stories or talking to each other, learning from each other's life experiences. Um, and in a way, this image of the family soon became an idol that you had to have a put-together family. The dad went to work, the mom stayed home, managed the household and the kids, and the family worked as a machine to do as much as they could for themselves, but all, all too often it became privatized and very um, isolated from those around them. So I think at times the nuclear family can be um, used without a clear definition. Um, as I was looking it up, there were just several different things um, that popped up. But irregardless of the many different interpretations, it definitely has to do with the married parent unit as a fundamental concept. So the original concept of the nuclear family, um, where kids grow up in a household with two married parents is obviously very beneficial. We've seen studies and studies of that, of two-parent homes and the success they have maybe compared to um, single-parent homes. Um, they pool their resources together. They do it for the benefit of their kids to see um, what they can do as a family. Um, but what happens is God designed the family to be a two-parent family, right, with kids. But what happens oftentimes with the nuclear family is that they become detached from people around them. Therefore, um, they um, aren't able to stand, withstand the tough times. So I think if we went with the nuclear family idea, the two married parent um, household, and the way God designed it, and we integrated that in with our extended families and our church, we really would have families that are unstoppable. So with every family type, there's pros and cons. Even the multi-generational families, if you were in a family that was uh, abusive or things like that, that's not obviously what you want to carry on. And so those families also have their downside. But... Um, I'm going to circle back on the nuclear family in a moment, so stick with me here. Today, we have families, um, especially if you have a younger family, that is busy, beyond belief, rushing from activity to activity. Um, a lot of times, both parents are working maybe a lot of hours, and there's rarely any time to just sit around with your family and relax. We rush from one place to another with our mini computers in our hands, and we take it as a badge of honor that we are so busy. If someone asks you, how's it going? Man, I'm so busy, I cannot believe everything I have going on. Um, and so somehow that's become a badge of honor instead of a like, hey, you probably need to clear your schedule a little bit. <laughs> um, Family time, or family is just really put on the back burner, and oftentimes you see this when parents are really focused on their kids, and then the kids leave the house, and then the parents look at each other, and they're like, wait, I don't even know you, right? Because they had never taken time just as a family, as a couple, um, to get to know their spouse. Um, there's just like missing pieces to the puzzle, and this can't be the way that family was designed. So when I was thinking of this and the way our families are, it made me think of like New York City in Times Square, the hustle and bustle. And Maddie, you can show that picture. And it's like these people are moving around so quickly that it's a blur. They don't even know what they're focused on. We don't know what they're focused on. And it's just moving. That 
to me is a lot of times what the family is today. Um, this past summer, I was taking one of my kids to their well check. And if you do online check-in or whatever, it asks you all these questions like, how many servings of fruits and vegetables do they eat? And do they drink pop? And all these questions. But one of the questions was, how many times a week do you eat dinner as a family? Which was interesting. I think it's been on there before. Maybe I didn't pay attention to it as much because our kids were a little bit younger. Um, but it made me think, okay, it's summer. Right now we're probably three to four times a week eating dinner as a family at the table. Um, but school year's about to start, and um, both boys are in football, Stella's in dance. There's rarely going to be a night where we're sitting around the table, right? So this is a reminder to get creative. So I instituted family breakfast <laughs> in my house for the past couple months. So kids upstairs at 7 o'clock, and we spend those 20 minutes, which isn't a ton of time, but it's time, around the um, breakfast table how I love to make nice dinners, like new recipes. I'm now doing that at breakfast. Like, what kind of casserole can I make? Can I do like the eggs and bacon and toast and all the things um, instead of our usual cereal? And for right now, it's working. We're getting to start our day with each other. And I don't say that as like a, woo, raw me, but that you have to get creative, right? The world that we live in, the families, and how they function, it's not easy to make that time. So you have to be intentional. You have to be creative. And um, if anybody has any great breakfast recipes, you can send them my way. Um, but here's something I want you to look at. Family is meant to be a long game in a world of short and fast. So we're going, going, going. Our society, our culture is instantaneous. We want things now through Amazon. You can get them delivered overnight. You don't even have to wait the two days. And that's just how our minds think. Everything should be quick and easy. But families take work, and we have to put in the time to be in the long game instead of in the world of fast and short. So even as families... As soon as our kids graduate from college, we're like, see you later. I hope you go to college, and then I hope you start a family. And I want you to start your own family. And in this family, you can do things however you want, you know, whenever you want, make your own traditions. You don't even have to be like the family you had, even if they had great values. Do your own thing. But we set families, new families, up to fail by doing that because we don't intertwine the extended family and the things of the past and the values and traditions that are so important. And we want families that are built to last, but however, everything we do points to them failing and fracturing at some point because we cannot keep up this pace. We cannot keep going like this. So what is God's blueprint for families? What does he want us to do with our families? How does he want us to look at it? Um, if you take a look at this, if we don't understand the context from which scripture speaks about family, we won't understand the conclusions it makes about family. So just like any other topic that we talk about here at New Point or we study in our Bibles, we have to go back to the Word of God and see how God intended it to be so that we know um, what to do with our family. When we look at the origin stories of our families, where they started, God's family design, we see how deeply important they are. 
Um, it's the big vision of something that usually illuminates the why and what we're looking for, helps us to answer questions. In Genesis 1, it has a very important story. So family goes all the way back to the beginning. And as we quickly recap this story this morning, I want to remind you of a couple things. Oftentimes we look at the Bible through our own culture and lens from right now when it is best to go back through a Middle Eastern lens and the culture of the times and really see what were they dealing with, what were they looking at. Um, And sometimes we can get so much more to the story. And then the second thing is whenever something is introduced in the Bible for the first time, you want to pay special attention to it because it sets the precedent um, of how it will play out in the rest of the Bible. So um, Genesis 1, real quick, heaven and earth are made. Creation was void without function, without filling. God, being the creator that he is, decides I'm going to create. He begins to form things into being. He fills the earth. He makes day and night. He separates land and sea. Um, He fills the earth with plants and trees and animals and fish and all the things. On the sixth day, he creates man. Man was created in the image of God, and he was formed from the dust of the earth. He knows man needs a partner, so he creates woman. I think mainly to help him find things, because I feel like, in my own experience, it's like, where's the ketchup? In the door of the fridge. No, it's not. Whoa, it is right there. I just found it. I don't have time today, but I have a really good story that hopefully Jason wouldn't mind me sharing about, no, it's right where I told you it was. Um, Okay, so just like that, the earth holds potential to bear new things and new possibilities. So God gives us a divine vocation to reflect his image and to create. He wants us to help bring order and goodness into the world where there's chaos, and he's still asking us to do that. Family is the primary spiritual community whose vocation is grounded in this call, and God calls us to holiness. Parents, we want to nurture our kids to a union with Christ right? But also for the sake of the world, like they can carry on the message of Christ. Um, The design and family unit is meant to be both inward and outward facing. So he places man and woman in the Garden of Eden, and he says, your job is to make the rest of the world look like this. The call is to build. It's called to create, to bring order, to bring shalom and peace to everything that we touch. And we are called to do this in a wise, just, and loving way. However, we all know, we mess it up. God wants the earth filled with his presence. Most of the earth at this time is uncultivated, not bearing fruit. And although God could have just in an instant filled the rest of the earth, he calls us to partner with him to do his work. And we are called to be part of this from the very beginning, to reflect his image. He gave us the capacity to multiply, and God is answering the first problem um, in creating a family. He does not intend for families to only be inward-facing. He has given us the job in this world to speak life into chaos and play a distinct role in our church, in our society. Um, John Mark Comer says this, A relational home is a network of committed covenantal relationships and a team that commits to one another and is interconnected through a a web of long-standing relationships. It's layered, it's complex, it's older, and it spans generations. Having this network of people 
um, that would work together, multiply, and bring forth God's blessing is God's original idea of being human. And this is such good news because whether you're young or old, married or single, whatever season you're in, you are part of God's multi-generational story. And God has the power to work through your family history that you know best um, to bring good things, to create good things going forward. So the question today, how in the world do we get to this design that God has for families when our culture literally points us in the other direction? They literally put obstacles in our way. I believe that God wants us to build families that will last, that we um, pass legacies on from one family to the next. Um, demographics and family life continue to change, but we need to see past the cultural changes and family life and continue to work to bring them as God designed them and then share that light in the darkness um, and celebrate God's blueprint for our families. Um, as I was researching um, for this message, I read a book called Take Back Your Family by Jefferson Beth Key, and he says this, we pass on our faith to our kids, not so they can consume it for their personal emotional feel good, but so the territory of the kingdom, God's good and gracious reign and rule can be expanded as we raise disciples who kick back the darkness and permeate every walk of life with the sacrificial love found in Jesus. He wants us to encourage and build our kids up in that way. Um, so what are the characteristics of a family that lasts? What we're talking about today. A family that lasts is devoted to each other. So that's the first thing. Devoted is defined as love, loyalty, or enthusiasm for a person, activity, or cause. And a family that lasts is devoted to each other. Now, it doesn't mean that there's not ups and downs, right? Um, or that we get along all the time. But through it all, we are loyal to each other. And our families must display devotion to each other by having a strong foundation. Um, in Matthew 20, or 7, verse 24 through 27, it says, Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on a solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against the house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. In a world where you can do what you want, when you want it, it's hard to build that foundation for our families. But I believe that in order to last, we must strengthen our families with these things. Number one, we must share the heart of God. What are we doing on a daily, weekly, monthly basis that points our family to God, into God's word? Do we look at his character? Do we know who he is? As we share the heart of God, we learn to speak life into our own families, our extended families, and we can encourage them instead of always fighting or bickering. Not sure if anyone else's family does that, but mine. But we choose to love and laugh rather than fight and complain. We understand that God has given us each unique gifts within our immediate family and extended family. And with those, we strengthen our family. We see people according to their potential, not according to their past. 
I should have put that on a slide. We see people according to their potential, not according to their past. We are broken. We have messed up, right, so many times. But we look ahead and we look to what God has called us to do, not the things and the ways that we have messed up. These reminders help to strengthen our family. And when we share the heart of God and hard times will come, um, we will be able to stand strong. I love this verse in Nehemiah 4, 14. It says, Then I looked over the situation. I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Here Nehemiah calls together his people right? I like to call the church my people. Um, And he reminds them of who God is. And because of who God is, they don't have to be afraid. But they join together. They fight for their families. They fight for their homes. And we stand up for what is right when the world around us is crumbling. We look to see the goodness of God. We look to see the testimonies that God will bring from our families when we fight for them. One of the most important things I think we can do as families is a Sabbath together. Oftentimes we hear the word Sabbath and you may think of either Sunday or just rest in general. Um, And life has a way of knocking the rest right out of us, right? We go on striving and straining instead of resting. But Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, which means to cease. So at the heart of Sabbath, it's about us ceasing our work to remember God's living work. In Revelation 21, it says that God reminds us that he is making all things new. So the Jewish framework, the Middle Eastern lens at which we look at this, for Sabbath is understood as celebration of restoration. So God is bringing the calm to the chaos with the power of his spoken word. The living God on the seventh day is looking at his finished work that he's been doing, and God is celebrating that creation has been brought into harmony brought into peace. He blesses the seventh day and he makes it holy. And the Sabbath is actually the first thing he calls holy. So the first time it's talked about in the Bible is called, he calls it holy, something that is to be set apart. You see, as families, we can get worked up with the striving and the straining, and I'm probably the most guilty of this of anyone in this room. Um, For trying to get all the things done, do all the things, have the perfect family, don't let people see your flaws or your downsides, and just like, yeah, we're good, we're good. That's me a lot of the time, so I promise to work on that during this series. Um, But when we learn as a family to rest with each other, um, we know that he is always working. When we bring heaven to earth, through Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we are functioning with insufficiency and quiet trust that the Lord's got this. The living God is doing the work. He's working when we don't need to. We can rest. We can take a deep breath every once in a while. On the Sabbath, there is deep and profound restoration. That's what he calls us to do on the Sabbath. And think about if we looked at our families, we Sabbathed together, and we looked at it as a time of deep restoration. Um, I think it would change like our whole outlook. There is renewal and repair underway. And in our fast-paced culture, that's more important than it's ever been. 
Um, so I encourage you, as I will work on it myself, to find a time of Sabbath. Find a time where your family is resting together. And maybe at times you do include your extended family to rest together as a family, to reminisce, to remember the things that God has done. I think a family that lasts serves and gives together. So when a family serves together, and this can be your own immediate family or it can be your church family because we've seen that time and time again as we serve together, we build relationships, and we grow together. Um, And then individual growth leads to a stronger family dynamic. So serving others is loving others. You learn that you let stereotypes, preconceived notions, all of those things kind of fog Um, your view of people, but when we serve, when we really give back um, to people and show compassion, we grow together and we learn to love each other. Um, You open the door to truly loving them with all of your heart, and what person or what family wouldn't want to love better, right? We can all commit to that. Um, A family that serves together heals together. Once again, your own family or the church family. There's something about serving that helps you to heal your own life. So you begin to look at your problems and the things that you think are the worst thing ever, and you begin to see, man, there's someone way worse off than me. And that doesn't make my own problems disappear, but it turns my focus towards other people and allowing Jesus to work through me to help other people, and in turn, it helps to heal us. You realize that your major problem really isn't that major, and it just helps it to put it in perspective. Um, when you choose to be vulnerable with your family, doors of growth open, bonds are created and strengthen, and the perspective and the outlook change. Your love grows for them when you see your family members serving. I don't know about you, but when I watch my kids um, serve and give back and do those kind of things, have their eyes open to opportunities around them, um, it totally blows me away, and it makes it... um, just so much better as a family to be able to see your family serving, to know that you're teaching them to love other people, um, and I am blessed in a powerful way. And I don't know about you, sometimes when we hear the word service, we think, oh my gosh, I'm not doing enough. There's a lot of things that I should be doing, and I have this nagging feeling inside of me, but we know what the standard is. We know what the stakes are. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to the least of my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. So who around us as a family can we show compassion to? I will just tell you that it will help build your family. I have... um, Isaiah 58 is one of my favorite chapters in the Bible of God just telling us what we need to do. And in Isaiah 58, 10 through 12, it says, Feed the hungry and help those in trouble. Then your light will shine from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be bright as day. The Lord will guide you continually, watering your life when you are dry and keeping you healthy too. You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring, Your children will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities, and then you will be known as people who rebuild their walls and their cities. God lays it all out for us. We do the things that God has called us to do. He guides us. We have a well-watered garden. Our children will rebuild the deserted cities and ruins. How powerful is that? The choices that we make as families are leaving a legacy for generations to come. 
I love to speak this declaration over my kids, and it says, my children will love God and serve them with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for the kingdom than they could ever imagine. We are called to nurture our kids, to help them learn to serve, to love others, to Sabbath together, to do all of those things that they can be um, risen up as powerful kids serving the kingdom. And serving and giving together is the additional glue that holds the family together. And whether you still have kids at home, whether you have no kids or anything like that, we still have um, the opportunity to set examples for our family. Most of us are still in contact with our extended family, and we can share that. In 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, it says, Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always being willing to share with others. By doing this, they are storing up treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience life, true life. We can give of our finances, and it's important as families to definitely have goals for your money and tithing and teaching your kids about savings, but um, you can also be generous with sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus. Several years ago, uh, some friends of ours that we know um, were telling us about a savings account that they have with their family, and I thought it was the coolest idea. So every time they got paid, they put a little bit of money in a savings account, and everyone in their family, mom, dad, son, daughter, um, could use that money to help someone else. So they had taken um, the initiative to have margin in their family, right, in their finances, and so any of the kids could come and say, hey, I have a friend, you know, I heard they don't have enough food, or somebody I know needs gas money, or man, we saw someone on the side of the road um, that really needed help. And so they were able, as a family, to one, talk about these serving opportunities, which is so important, to keep their eyes aware of the things around them. Um, But then they had created that margin that they could just give back and they could bless other people. And I just always thought that was the coolest thing and such a great foundation from the beginning to help your kids look at the things around them and see needs. Um, We're so busy, like I said, with our little computers in our hands that a lot of times we don't even look up around us to see what needs help or who needs help. So um, sharing money, sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus with others, this is a good foundation so that we may experience life. And as you see, um, our loved ones help in practical ways. It occurs to me that it mirrors the way that God created us. He made us all unique to help one another to be as a team. And that's my um, final thing, a family that lasts lives as a team. So I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God is actually a team himself. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It takes the three of them that work together to minister in our lives, and they have been eternally in a cycle of love and harmony. We are created in God's image, and so living as a team, and I'm calling the church our team, um, and not alone will actually allow us to be our best selves. 
So God's original idea for blessing the world was a family team. Brokenness and sin have fractured these relationships um, a lot because of our pride or our disobedience, but God is unfazed by this. God is unfazed by the brokenness that you bring into this church because he has the power to put it all back together. He has, he's a promise maker and he's a promise keeper. In Genesis, he talks to Abraham and he gives him three promises. Your descendants will fill the earth. I will give you a nation and the work of God will continue through you, which is through Jesus. And Jesus shows up and continues on with the family of God. The very people who broke the system, God asks to partner to put it back together. We see the grace and the goodness of God in this. Pete Scazzaro says the great news of Christianity is that your biological family of origin does not determine your future. The most significant language in the New Testament for becoming a Christian is adoption into the family of God. When we place our faith in Christ, we are spiritually reborn by the Holy Spirit into the family of Jesus, and we're transferred out of darkness and into the kingdom of light. While we have our biological families, most importantly, we have the family of God. And we were made for church family. We are made to be a unit for the kingdom of God and work together. We are, design, or we are not designed to depend upon ourselves, but to function in families. Um, in Mark 31, or 331 through 35, Maddie, I skipped a couple, so... You're looking for that. Then Jesus' brother and mother came to see him. They stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk to them. They were sitting around in a crowd, and Jesus said, Your brother and your mothers are outside asking for you. Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and my brothers. Anyone who does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. In this brief exchange, Jesus is expanding and defining what it truly means to be family. He points to those who walk faithfully with him, and he calls them family. The Bible doesn't say we're like a family. It says we are family. So you can have confidence in this, knowing that we are part of God's family. I didn't come for it. Um, we have the unfailing love of God proven by the sacrifice of Jesus so that we can freely repent and be forgiven, grow with one another as children of God in Christ. Um, it is, as it says in Acts 2, our responsibility for the whole family to take care of the whole family. We're called to come together to help each other with resources and different things so that everyone is taken care of. Everything else we read about in the Bible and the power and glory of the early church points to the foundation of the word, fellowship, remembrance of Jesus' work on the cross, and prayer. We are invited to take care of each other, but we can only have deep fellowship if we are spending time with each other and getting involved in each other's lives. This is the Christian life, God's intention for us is that we grow up into mature men and women, transformed by the presence of God, and we honor our parents, our culture, and our histories, but most importantly, we obey God. So as we close, what is the good news that I want to remind you of today? And it is that God has a vision for your family that is beyond what you can imagine. It's so big that it will outlast you 
It will outlive you. He is blessed, his blessing on you will pass on to a thousand generations, and he will make his face shine upon you. As we close um, and then re-sing that last song today, I was thinking about our families and how we need to plead the blood of Jesus over them, to call for um, protection from God. There are so many things coming at our family units today, and we want to be able to press through and um, be who God has called us to be, the light in the darkness. Um, And I just want to encourage you that God is a God of details, and he has always had you and your family in mind. In Exodus 12, God institutes Passover. Um, The coming deliverance from Egypt was such a significant act that God actually told the children of Israel to remake their calendar. The new year would start now with a month of their redemption from Egypt. It was a dramatic way of saying everything's about to change. In the history of failure, as the Israelites had done so many times, um, God is ever the God of new beginnings. Behold, I make all things new. He tells Aaron and Moses to go announce to the whole community of Israel that every family or household should take for themselves a lamb. This is the first occurrence in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, describing Israel as a religious sense, and it underlies the New Testament um, use of the word church. So on the 10th of the first month, each family or household was to take a lamb, and the lamb was to live with the family for four days until Passover. In this way, the lamb became part of the family. By the time it was sacrificed, on the 14th day, it was cherished and mourned. God wanted the sacrifice of something precious. The lamb would also be without blemish. The sacrifice unto the Lord had to be perfect as the lamb could be. They were to slaughter their lamb at twilight and smear the blood on their doorposts. The blood dripped down, forming the figure of a cross in the doorway. And the blood on the doorpost showed the sacrifice of the Passover lamb was to be remembered in daily life. You would see it every time you went in and out of the house. The lamb was then to be all eaten, all of it. The idea behind eating it was that they had to then take it and not store it up for rescue later. They had to make a decision that they were going to eat it all right now. And you had to receive it without thinking, oh, I can come back in a bit um, if I pleased. When we have Jesus, the blood of the lamb, we take all of it, not just the parts that please us. The Passover lamb had to be eaten in faith, trusting that the deliverance promised to Israel was present and that they would walk in the deliverance immediately. Passover was the Lord's in the sense that he provided it as a rescue to deliver Israel, as an institution to remember God's rescue and deliverance for Israel, and as a powerful drama acting out the perfect sacrifice and rescue that Jesus would later provide. We see Jesus in the Passover. Jesus lived with us, lived among us, became bonded to the human family before he was sacrificed for them. And the sacrifice of Jesus had to be appropriate to each home, not just to a nation or community. The protection of the blood. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, it says in Exodus 12. For Israel to be spared from judgment on the firstborn, they had to apply the blood as God said they should. And the blood of the lamb was essential. 
the blood of Jesus provides protection for our families. And in order to have a family that lasts, we need that protection. In a world of chaos and darkness, he calls us to be the light. He calls us to take that testimony of who family is meant to be and declare it over our lives and to the lives of others. Are we pleading the blood of Jesus over our families? And you may be sitting there thinking, I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to accomplish a family that lasts. But I want to remind you in this verse, in Jeremiah 6, 16, it says, This is what the Lord says. Stop at the crossroads and look around. Ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path and you will find rest for your souls. I'll have you stand with me today. As we started this morning, we talked about families not easy. We have our ups and downs. We have the baggage that comes with previous family things that may have happened to us. And I do not want to disregard the things that may have happened in your family or the hurt or the pain or brokenness that you have experienced. But I truly believe that we serve a God that is capable of healing the hurt in your family, capable of building bridges where there are none, capable of walking us through forgiveness when it's not easy, capable of us praying together and saying, hey, we're not perfect, we're not good at this, but with Jesus, when we plead the blood of Jesus over our families, it protects our future. It protects the legacy that God has called us to live. And I truly believe in these next few weeks that families will be transformed. And as we close today, I just wanna say, are we willing to work on our families? It's gonna take work, it's gonna take sacrifice, it's gonna make us Get rid of the pride that we have. and Maybe we're at fault in some situations, but can we place God first? Serve those around us and know that we can provide an example of how God has protected our families. I know there are many situations, like I said, that are brokenness, um, but I truly believe that God is able to heal that. And so today as we close, if your immediate family or your family is here, I encourage you to just huddle together. If they're not, I encourage you to huddle together with your church family. And I just want to pray over us and pray over the next few weeks of what God's going to do in our families. If you have families where people are lost, where they don't know Jesus, where they speak hurtful words to you, um, I just encourage you to give that to Jesus. Lay it at the foot of the cross. Lead protection over your own life and your own family and know that he is a miracle worker. And we will see that as we declare that today. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we come to you today and we lay our families before you. We may have come from a perfect family. We may have come from a broken family. But I believe that you have worked all these things together and that there will be a reason that we walk this out. Let us be an example. Let us share our testimonies. We believe in the power of testimony, and I thank you for this church family. I thank you that we learn to come around each other, that we learn to encourage each other, that we learn to speak life into situations, life into the brokenness. And right now, today, if you are dealing with family that has hurt you in the past, things that you are struggling to forgive, I just invite you to raise your hand right now 
and just give it to Jesus. There's so many moments of pain, but we thank you that you are the healer. We thank you that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sin, and I thank you that you remove that from people's mind, that they can focus on the word of God, that they can share the love of Jesus, even with the people that have hurt them the most. I thank you for healing in families today. I thank you that we see the goodness of God when we turn our face towards you, when we feed the hungry, when we serve together, we heal our families and we are able to be a light in the darkness. Help this church to be an example to all the families around us, of people that love Jesus, people that are called according to your purpose, people that move forward in faith and show love and compassion. And I thank you for healing in this place today. I thank you for protecting our families, that you build a hedge of protection around us, that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. But today, we draw the boundary. Today, we step forward and say that our families belong to Jesus and not to the enemy. Thank you that we are willing to make the sacrifices needed to work on our families this month. In Jesus' name, amen.